Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 255 of the podcast that is Sweeping America. The Air Tourist Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, May 21st, 2020. And people... It has been a great 24 hours if you love sports and you love college sports specifically. On Wednesday, late Wednesday, the NCAA announced that student-athletes in the major sports, men's basketball, women's basketball, football, will be allowed to return to campus on June 1st. It is a major step in the right direction. I'm not saying um, it's the only step to getting football on the field in the fall, but it is the biggest step to date. Great news. We will get into that. And also, I'll kind of keep you updated on what has now become the next hurdle with football, which is what the game day fan experience will look like. A lot of interesting stuff coming out. I've been having a lot of interesting conversations behind the scenes, and I will talk to you about that. Uh, Also, two big basketball nuggets that I want to hit on. One, um, did you see your boy DeAndre Williams committed to Memphis, one of the most high-profile transfers on the market? That's not news. I'm not going to talk about a transfer that might not be eligible next year, but His mentor, his quote-unquote mentor, had some very interesting things to say this week. It made me slap a a palm to my head. It made me say, my goodness, for all the money that college basketball coaches get paid, I don't think you could pay me to do that job because I just don't think it'd be very fun. And also, Indiana getting a big commitment, five-star Christian Lander. He will reclassify to the class of 2020, and I will discuss that because I do think there is some heat on Indiana right now as we get set for the 2020-21 season. Also, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. So I have recorded an interview with my old buddy, Kevin Keats, the head coach of NC State Basketball, and I haven't yet decided if I'm going to run it on this episode. And What I mean by that is very simply this. I think I have enough to talk about to get us through a full episode so we don't go crazy long like I have been over the last couple weeks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait and see where this episode lands in terms of time, in terms of minutes. And at the end of the episode, I will tell you whether or not the Kevin Keats interview is going to run. And if it does not, it will be on Monday. I don't know if I have any NC State fans who regularly listen to this show, but I promise if I do not run the Kevin Keats interview today, I will run it Monday. But there's 
a possibility that I don't talk too long. And then if that's the case, then I will, of course, um, you know, run the interview today. So fun show, lot to get into. I mean, it's just there is so much to get into in college athletics right now. And it is an exciting time. As I have told you, I am amazed how much news we are getting out of this time frame. And so let's get into it. But before we start, I do want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like. Let us know what I'm doing well, what you want more of, all that kind of stuff. Also, if you're not following on Instagram, I'm always doing stuff on the days in between the show on Instagram. I did some transfer rankings this week. Got some more stuff coming next week. I'll go live on video if need be. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And I should give a, a quick reminder as to something that I referenced last week. But as I said, one, and I've said this many times, but I sincerely mean it. Thank you guys so much for sticking through this show during what was the crazy quarantine. Some people like myself are still under lock, uh, still not really allowed to go anywhere, but many of you are getting back to work. And many of you now have more time to listen to shows like this in your free time. And so what I would say very simply is this, is like I said it last episode, but it's worth repeating. If you live in a state where your restrictions have been loosened and now you're driving back to the office every day, you're going to the gym to work out. What I would say very simply is this. There were a lot of episodes early in this quarantine where I had some great guests, and I made sure to make those interviews evergreen so that people could go back and listen to them if they missed them in real time. So I had Obi Toppin, the National Player of the Year, on the show. I had Rick Barnes, Tennessee head coach, on the show. Eric Musselman, Arkansas coach, last week. I had Emmanuel Quickly, SEC Player of the Year. Mason Jones from Arkansas, SEC runner-up. Patrick Patterson, Dan Issel. Davian Mintz, the newest Kentucky Wildcat. So if you missed any of those interviews, what I can tell you is none of them are super topical. You can go back and listen to an Emmanuel Quickly interview or a Patrick Patterson or a Rick Barnes, and you are going to enjoy it just the same as when it came out. So make sure to go back and listen to those interviews. Really fun. But again, I appreciate so many of you sticking with this show, and I appreciate you, uh, um, you know, continuing to support this show even through the pandemic. Uh, the, the, I'm so grateful with, with, frankly, all the news that we had to get into, but then also the fact that you guys, many of you, hopefully knock on wood, are starting to get back to some sense of normalcy. As I said, there's plenty of people like me who are still under lock and key, but hopefully all of that will be loosening up right now, which gets us into the topic of the day which is very simply this. If you want college football in September, this was a great week for you. And it's amazing because it's amazing to me how quickly things can change in the narrative that is sports in kind of the COVID-19 era. Just last week, I was telling you guys, be patient. It's going to be okay. I know you're hearing all sorts of crazy things out of California, but I promise you, 
things will calm down. They have calmed down in some states. As I said a minute ago, they've calmed down in Georgia. They've calmed down in Tennessee. They've calmed down in Texas. Things are getting back to normal in a lot of places. And I told you, California will get there. California was the fly in the ointment of college football. It seemed like our governor and our mayors were, were adamant that they were going to keep this city locked down and this state locked down for months into the future. Yet here we are on Monday, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, said that pro sports can return to the state of California. Great first step for eventually the college football season returning to the state of California. But then... The big news of the week came Wednesday when the NCAA said that, as I said off the top, major sports athletes, so football, men's basketball, women's basketball, can return to campus for voluntary workouts starting on June 1st, which is, of course, a little over to a little under two weeks away from what I'm recording now. And so before we get into it, what I would very simply say is let me, let me kind of lay out some stuff because you see that big, bold headline, and this still is just one step in ultimately getting college athletics back on the field. First of all, this is not a mandate to open up campuses, right? So June 1st is the first time that players can go back to campus, live on campus. It, it, you know, and by the way, there, I think I've mentioned this on the show, but there have been some student athletes actually living on campus but, uh, you know, this is the first time, and, and when I say they've been living on campus, it's, it's student athletes that are from overseas that can't easily get home, that maybe don't have access to what they need academically at home. So there have been student athletes on campus, but this is the first blanket you're allowed to bring everybody back. And so all this means is very simply this, is one, the NCAA is basically saying, we're not going to restrict you. And so it doesn't mean that every school and every state is going to have student athletes back on campus June 1st. What it means is it is now up to the discretion of the school and the discretion of the conference to make decisions that they believe are best for them. So as an example, my buddy Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, I saw him tweet out that he believes that as early as uh, Friday, I believe is what he said, is that the SEC will vote on when they will allow their schools to come back to, to schools to allow their kids to come back to campus. The Pac-12, I believe, will have a vote later this week. Doesn't mean that in the SEC, all 14 schools will have everyone back on campus at the same time. Doesn't mean that in the Pac-12, all 12 schools will ha will have kids back on campus. But there will be a set date, and the NCAA is no longer in the way. The NCAA is saying you guys do what you think is best for your individual university, your individual state. We are not going to stop that. To take it a step further, we are not going into full-scale practice, right? And so for people who don't know the academic calendar, as it pertains to basketball, coaches in a normal summer get eight individual workouts, basically two workouts a week for four straight weeks during the summer. That is not happening. That is, it's not uh, John Calipari or Coach K running formal practices. Obviously, in football, the practices don't really start until the end of July after media days. That is not where we're at right now. What it is is voluntary workouts, and I believe they will mostly be, you know, very heavily um, social distance and things like that. You know, Eric Musselman, the head coach at Arkansas, came on last week, and he talked a lot about this. He talked about the reality that student athletes may, you know, you may only have one or two kids in the gym at a time. You may only have one coach with one kid. You may not have more than one player on one specific basket as it pertains to basketball. In terms of the weight room, I've seen reports of 
no more than 10, 12, 15 guys in a massive weight room at once, six feet apart while they're working out, coaches wearing masks. So it, it is not back to normal, but it is a step in the right direction. And for somebody like me who has been adamant from day one, I believe there was going to be football. I never wavered from that. This is the biggest step so far. Now, in terms of the why of this, I think there's two reasons why this is starting to happen now. One, states themselves are starting to loosen up. I actually think there's like three or four reasons. I'll just, I'll just rattle them off. One, states are starting to loosen up restrictions themselves. And so I think what a Florida is doing, a Georgia is doing, a Tennessee is doing, is they're basically very simply saying this or what the NCAA is doing on behalf of them, is that what the NCAA is basically doing is saying, look, if the governor of Georgia believes it's safe for people to get together, for people to congregate at restaurants, people to congregate at bars, people to congregate at the beach, although I don't even know if Georgia has any beaches, if they can go to gyms, then it doesn't really make sense for us to not allow our student athletes back on campus. It doesn't really make sense for us to allow them to come back to a safe environment, which I'm going to get into in a minute. And I think it kind of plays into the second part, which is really the first part, which is very simply this. The people that run these states have decided it's safe, and the people who run these schools have decided it's safe. Now, not every school is on the same page as everywhere else. But I give uh, credit to both the school presidents as well as the politicians that are not doing what all of us, including myself, including people that I love, are doing. They're not sitting around watching the news, freaking themselves out, going on Facebook, seeing what Aunt Mildred posted about this, that, or the other thing. They're taking actual data to inform decisions both for the state itself and, of course, for the university. And so I've been over this a million times. But I think we all know by now, the rates of infection, the death rates are mostly, go I don't want to say, I, you know, I'm, to be clear, I'm not saying for every single state because every state is different. But for the most part, as the weather has warmed up, the rates are going down. Social distancing did work. Um, we're also finding out and we have continued to find out that again, while young people can be infected by this illness, many end up being asymptomatic. Remember, the Brooklyn Nets had four guys test positive for COVID-19 when they were tested right after the season. Only one of them even showed symptoms. Donovan Mitchell, who of course was you know, kind of the, the famous test case with Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell showed no symptoms. And so I think schools are making educated guesses, or I take that back, I don't even want to say educated guesses. They are making educated decisions on what to do. I find it very interesting, by the way, that a lot of schools this week have actually decided Based on the data, again, we're only going based on what the experts are telling us and what the data is telling us. A lot of schools have actually decided to move up the academic calendar. This is a big topic of conversation. I think it'll be a bigger conversation as we get more towards basketball. But this week, we saw Notre Dame. We saw Syracuse. We saw the University of South Carolina announce that they're actually, they're going to bring kids back to campus, but they're going to start the academic calendar early and get kids off of campus by Thanksgiving. The thought process behind that is very simply that if a second wave does come when the weather cools down in the fall, late fall, early winter, we do want these kids off campus. And so what will instead happen is that there will be, rather than there being a fall break, there will be, the semester will start earlier, it will finish earlier, and there will be an extended winter break to hopefully avoid 
what could be that second peak in the, in the late fall, early winter, which is what a lot of people are fearing. So again, the state politicians are making decisions based on data, and so are the schools. I think finally, the third reason why this is happening is because I think that these administrators, and really as it pertains to college sports specifically, I think they're starting to realize that the safest place that these kids can actually be is on a college campus with their team. And I know to a lot of you, that probably sounds crazy. How can you say that 85 football players in a a closed, confined space is safer than being at home? Well, that's not what I'm saying. First of all, we will never at any point do I believe in the very near future on any campus have 85 kids in the room at once, have in basketball 15 kids working out at once. As I said, this is not come back and have full-scale practices. This is come back voluntary workouts, social distancing, masks, all that stuff. And so why now? Why as it pertains to being safe? As I said, I do believe this is where college kids are the safest. And if you don't believe me, let me just kind of explain why. I think the bottom line is, and this comes from, by the way, I've been talking to coaches about this since March when this thing first happened. But the bottom line is, is that there are times where a kid can go home to his house with his parents where he's from and be safe, have a place to work out if he needs to, get good meals, get good health care if he needs to. Maybe his parents are a doctor, his parents are a lawyer, they have the best access to doctors. There are plenty of athletes across the country that have that. There are quite a few more, though, who probably don't, and I don't know what the percentage is. But what I can tell you is that in talking to coaches all over the country since this thing started, there are just a lot of kids that come from really unfortunate circumstances. I mean, even from strictly the academic side, I've heard coaches talk about, you know, my kid comes from a a family where they have six, seven people living in a one-bedroom apartment. How is he supposed to do online coursework when he can't even find five space to have a little, five feet of space to have a little privacy? Some play, I've, I've heard coaches say like they have kids that literally don't have the internet at their house. So just from, from an academic standpoint, it, it, it isn't ideal. But then you think about it from a health standpoint. Five, six, seven people in a one-bedroom apartment is probably not the best way to protect people in the middle of a pandemic. I would add, there are also circumstances to the opposite effect. Talk to coaches, especially in football, especially in the South, There are very rural parts of this country as well that many of these athletes come from. Many of them are hours from the closest hospital, maybe a half an hour from even a pediatrician or somebody that can take care of them if they show symptoms. And so why is it safest to have them back on campus? Well, it's very simply this, is that it is safest to have them back on campus because of the fact that when they are on campus, they can be monitored daily temperature checks daily. I don't know that schools will go as far as to test them daily, but I think at the big schools at Alabama, at Clemson, at Ohio State, the money is there. It's possible. They will work out rather than going to the high school and hoping that nobody's in the gym at the same time. They can work out in a safe, clean, sterile environment. They have access to great doctors. One thing that I harp on all the time on this show the medical support that these athletes get is second to none. Some of the best doctors in the world work on these campuses where, God forbid, something happens, the kids can be taken care of. They get their meals taken care of, which ultimately doesn't really matter, but anything you can do to keep your immune system up 
even better, certainly better than what some of these kids are eating at home. No disrespect. This isn't a socioeconomical thing. It's a fact. And so I think these schools have realized that it is actually best to have these kids on campus. Now, again, there are still a lot of steps to be made to actually get games on Saturdays. But as I've said all along, as I said last week, we still have, relatively speaking, plenty of time, especially if most of these kids do get back to campus sometime early to middle of June. We still got two and a half months after the middle of June before these games actually kick off. Three and a half months from now until the games actually kick off. So again, I've said from the beginning, I believe games will be played, but this was the greatest step in the right direction for that to happen. All right, now I want to talk about the other thing as it pertains to this, and that is kind of the new conversation that has popped up in college athletics, okay? And so what do I mean by that? What I mean is I try to keep you guys abreast of everything that's going on in college sports as it pertains to everything, really. And, and obviously, look, there are times where I'm breaking down games during football season or basketball season, times I'm breaking down recruiting, times I'm breaking down transfers, times I'm breaking down reclassifications. But right now, kind of the context of college sports is everything, every narrative starts around this coronavirus. And so what I will tell you is, even though I never personally believed that games were at jeopardy, two, three, four weeks ago, that was the conversation. <laughs> is there a possibility we don't play games this fall? Well, I think we've moved past that. I think most agree. I don't know that you would get 100% unanimity. Unanimity? Is that the right word? I think it's the right word. I don't know that you'll ever get 100% unanimity that we are 100% getting games in the fall. I do think we will, though. But I think the bigger question that is now the conversation within college athletics, what will the game day experience look like? And what I mean by that is this. Will there be no fans in the stands? Will there be fans required to wear masks? Or realistically, which is now the conversation, are we going to do fans in the stands, but potentially at less than 100% capacity? And what I mean by that is very simply this. Do we figure out a way to social distance in the context of a college football Saturday? So does that mean that you know even at an Alabama, a person that normally has 10 season tickets can only have five? Does it mean that you have a, a, a package where season ticket holders only get access to four home games instead of seven. Some get access to three that you don't sell single game tickets. These are the conversations that are being had because while I will say that for the hundredth time, I've been confident that there will be college football, I have never once said and I still don't know what the college game experience will look like. I do not know. I cannot say with certainty, nor can anyone if there will be fans in the stands. I can't say whether it will be at 50% capacity, 25% capacity. I saw Ohio State's athletic director, Gene Smith, today said they're already putting together plans to figure out, you know, can we do 20,000? Can we do 25,000? Which for the horseshoe would be 25% capacity. And so I don't know that this is the sexiest topic to talk about on a podcast like this, but I do think it is the next step, the next evolution with the college football experience. Like I said, I think most of us agree we're probably going to get games in September. Whatever I said, three and a half full months away till the start of the season. You think about how far this conversation has come really just in 
the last couple weeks, let alone the last couple months, and where it will be a couple months from now. But now the bigger question becomes, how do you keep everybody happy? And I think that is, if you're a college football fan, if you're a season ticket holder, if you normally attend games, that is the topic that is going to be pressing going forward. And I'll tell you this, you know, I said, uh, you know, in a minute, I'm going to talk about the DeAndre Williams deal at Kentucky and Memphis and Arkansas and Baylor. I'm going to say I don't envy college basketball coaches, no matter how much they're paid. I don't envy college administrators either. Because like I just said, there is a very realistic proposition in the not too distant future that Alabama's AD or their ticket director or their assistant ticket director is going to have to call somebody that's had 10 season tickets in their family for decades and tell them, Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, I'm sorry, we can only give you five this year. Or Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, we can give you the 10, but you can only come to every other game. We can only give you four games out of seven as opposed to the full seven because we have to accommodate other season ticket holders who aren't going to be able to get into the same games you are. And so I do think over the next couple weeks, it is very realistic that there are a lot of very tough questions being asked in these athletic departments of their fans, of their season ticket holders. To extrapolate it out further, I think there are other bigger questions that that these uh, that hasn't even like the conversation hasn't even begun about right. So like say you only get forty thousand people into the Ohio State Michigan game, right? Say that all of these states have decided that whether it is, and I think the game's in Ohio this year. I'm not even sure, but say the state of Ohio says you can't have anything more than fifty percent capacity. So I think the first question becomes. How do you choose the 40,000 people that actually get into the stadium when obviously hundreds of thousands, if not millions, want access to those tickets? But then I think the second question becomes, how do you stop the secondary market, right? I think this is a topic that is going to become more prevalent behind the scenes in college sports. We got the games. Now we might have to have social distancing at the games. And if we have social distancing at the games, how do we make sure that the people that we're giving tickets to actually use them? And what I mean by that is very simply this. Like I said, take the Ohio State Michigan as an example or Alabama LSU. Under normal circumstance, 90,000 people would be able to go. Say only 40,000 are able to go this year. How do you keep those 40,000, even one or two or five or 10 or 20 or 200 people from going on the secondary market, taking that ticket that is in hot demand and putting it on the market and getting 10 times the value that you normally would, right? Because I'll tell you what, the only thing that's going to piss off people more than not being able to get into a game when they're a season ticket holder is seeing tickets to the actual game above face value online and furthermore, people making money off tickets that they can't even get access to. So there are so many questions that need to be answered still in college athletics. I opened the show by being incredibly positive. I opened the show by saying, like, look, this is a great step in the right direction. College football is back, baby. We got kids on campus. This is a great first step. But there are still a lot of questions to be answered. And the one thing that when I get on the phone with people behind the scenes in college sports, I keep asking them, what does the game day experience look like? What does social distancing look like if it gets to that point in college football? And the one thing that definitively no one says is, I just, Aaron, I just don't have an answer for that right now. Now, the good news is what I would say as I kind of wrap up this topic, we transition to basketball. The good news is, as I've said many times over the last couple weeks, the last couple months, we still have plenty of time to figure this out. We still have three and a half months. 
we still hopefully do not have to worry about this situation. Hopefully in a perfect world, whether it's wearing masks or we find a vaccine, which I know doesn't seem likely. I'm not trying to be a scientist. But hopefully in the next three and a half months, we can just sell out games and we can have 80,000 people in, at Alabama or at, at LSU or at Clemson or at Louisville or at Kentucky. But if we don't, this is the next big question. I'm optimistic we have plenty of time, but we will have to wait and see. All right, I think that's enough hypothetical football for today. And let's get to some basketball because I would say even though it is now the middle to the end of May, we still have a lot of basketball stuff to talk about. And I want to talk about this story that popped up this week with this kid, DeAndre Williams, who was uh, committed to Memphis as a transfer, excuse me, chose Memphis over Kentucky, Arkansas, and Baylor. But that's not really the story because you know that the one thing AT doesn't do on this show, I don't go gaga over transfers. Now, I think some are really good. Olivier Saar, who has committed to Kentucky, is a really good basketball player. DJ Carton, who's committed to Marquette from Ohio State, very good basketball player. Romello White, who is going to Ole Miss, started his career at Arizona State, very good basketball player. Mac McClung, very good basketball player. But as a general rule, I don't break down transfers. Like, it's just not my style, right? Because most of them don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And I don't even know that this kid, DeAndre Williams, will matter because he's 24 years old. We don't even know if he's going to be eligible this year. And I've been told by one school that recruited him that if he can't get eligible this year, his clock may expire while he's sitting out at Memphis. But that's not why I want to get into our boy, DeAndre Williams. Instead, I want to get into our boy, DeAndre Williams, because of something that his quote-unquote, and I am air-quoting in my own house, his quote-unquote mentor said this week. And for those of you who missed this story, it was kind of incredible. It's kind of nerdy inside college basketball. But to me, when I saw these quotes, not only did I cringe, but I said like, oh, this is why I would never, I don't care how much money you pay me, I would never want to be a college basketball coach. And here's why. So DeAndre Williams, as I said, one of the most coveted transfers on the market this year. He averaged, I think, 16 points a game at Evansville, was very successful before Walter McCarty was fired in the middle of the year because of all the stuff that happened behind the scenes. You can Google that part. I'm not going to get into that part. But he enters the transfer portal. All these schools reach out, and ultimately he chooses Memphis. And so, um, you know, there were various reports as the recruitment was going down that certain schools were getting backing off, less interested, more interested, whatever. My buddy Kyle Tucker, who, for the record, I have no beef with Kyle Tucker. He apologized to me. We talked it out. We're cool. Kyle Tucker reported late last week, or I guess it was probably late two weeks ago, that basically Kentucky's interest was waning. That Kentucky was saying, you know, were the kids 24 years old? He's only really played one year of college basketball. And we just don't know what we're going to get. We think that we're set with our roster. That was Kyle's report. I heard something similar from other schools throughout the recruiting process that basically there were a lot of schools that backed off, that when he entered the portal, they saw, oh, you know, you average 16 a game. I wonder if he could help my team. Then you dig in, not saying the kid is a bad kid, but just that at 24 years old in, you know, six years removed from high school basketball, maybe this isn't the guy we want to bring into our program. So anyway, his mentor, and again, I'm using that term loosely, Kenneth Roy went on radio in Memphis after the kid committed. And of course, they're doing a victory lap in Memphis because they got the kid. I'm not saying that Memphis fans shouldn't be excited. Calm down, Memphis fans. It's nothing personal. But basically, um, you know, Kenneth Roy was asked about the situation, and he was asked specifically about Kentucky. He was asked about Kyle Tucker, my friend, nothing personal. I'm not attacking him. 
Kyle's report that Kentucky backed off. Here was what Kenny Roy said about the whole situation. I said, I look at it this way with Kentucky. I look at it this way with Kentucky. Kentucky showed up a week later. We gave everybody the ground rules of how to play ball, Roy said. This was, again, DeAndre Williams' mentor on a Memphis radio show. Kentucky, they started doing their own thing, dealing with Andre directly, not coming through me. That played an important part as well because they didn't play by the rules correctly. They thought they could go directly to DeAndre. They thought they could go directly to mom. He continued. I'm sorry. I'm just reading this out. I'm reading. I want to make sure I have all these facts right. I don't want to bury this guy on my podcast that's listened to by thousands without getting the facts right. He then continued. This is Kenneth Roy again. They only talked to me one time during the process. If I'm a part of the process, why do you think you can eliminate me and get the prize? That's not going to happen like that. Woo! All right. Our boy Kenny Roy. Listen, AT comes in hot all the time, so I can't really be mad at Kenny Roy for coming in hot all the time. But again, I want you to listen to what he said. Kentucky showed up a week later. We gave everybody the ground rules of how to play ball. Kentucky, they started doing their own thing, dealing with DeAndre directly, not coming through me. That played an important part as well because they didn't want to play by the rules correctly. They thought they could go directly to DeAndre. They thought they could go directly to mom. Oh my goodness. God forbid that a college basketball coaching staff wants to actually deal with the player that they're going to have on campus and not some old dude that has classified himself as a mentor. By the way, first of all, was talking off the record with a coach that recruited DeAndre Williams, not a coach from Kentucky, by the way, different school. And again, he was reached out to by a lot of schools. I don't really know what a 24-year-old needs a mentor for anyway. As I told the coach, that kid doesn't need a mentor. That kid's 24. He needs to go to Best Buy and get himself a job. But neither here nor there. Because this is what I'm telling you. This is why I actually feel sympathy for college basketball coaches. I understand the coaches that recruited uh, DeAndre Williams are all millionaires. Penny Hardaway's a millionaire. John Calipari's a millionaire. Eric Musselman's a millionaire. Scott Drew's a millionaire. All the other coaches that recruit him are millionaires. But think about all the crap the coaches have to go through. I'm not saying that college basketball has ever been perfect. I'm not saying that there hasn't been sketchy stuff going on in recruiting. But whatever happened to just a coach wanting to call a kid and get to know a kid to see if he's a good fit in the program? Now you got to go through the mentor? And it isn't just, by the way, DeAndre Williams. DeAndre Williams' mentor was just the one that was given the microphone in Memphis. But think about this. Think about what it's like to be a college basketball coach. You work your whole life. You grind your way up. John Calipari started as an intern, unpaid, you know, graduate assistant at Kansas for like $10,000 a year. He's worked his way all the way up. He just wants to recruit a kid to see if he's the right fit. He wants to call the kid. But no, you got to call the mentor. Oh, my goodness. Imagine what will happen if you don't call the mentor. Heck, I'll take it a step further. I'm not saying I always defend Penny Hardaway. Imagine being Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway made $100 million in his NBA career. He just wants to coach basketball. He just wants to do his civic duty as a Memphis citizen and Memphis alum and help his basketball program. Now he's got guys like Kenny Roy coming through saying, you can't talk to the kid, you can only talk to me. It's insanity. And it makes me realize that I just, I don't care how much money they get paid, I would never want to be a college basketball coach. Because think about what being a college basketball coach in 2020 entails. It's no longer just about showing up and coaching your guys and teaching them the art of a bounce pass or a chess pass. You got to deal with guys like Kenny Roy who are mentors. You got to deal with guys that have parents that are out of control. 
Got to deal with kids that have inflated egos because they were they blew up on Ball's life when they were 11 years old. Got to deal with um, you know schools tampering. I've talked about that a lot on this show. A kid has one down year at a major school, or he's really good at a lower level. There is some school trying to get him to transfer to their school. You got agents tampering with your players if they're good enough. And I just added up. And I just, I'm not saying I don't understand what the appeal of being a college basketball coach is. And I say this as somebody who loves college basketball, who've dedicated my life to college basketball. I love this sport. And I love, by the way, that there's some wacky characters behind the scenes. I'm just saying that I get to deal with them on a very minimal basis. And by the way, I'm not even necessarily going after Kenny Roy here because guess what? Like I said, a lot of these guys have mentors. A lot of these guys have parents that are the same way, have an AAU coach that are the same way. And I should mention, by the way, a lot of kids have great parents. A lot of AAU coaches that I know are excellent people, good people, care about the kids, but there are so many people that want to get involved. There are so many people that want to see their name in the headline. There's so many people that want to control access to a kid. So many people that want to use the kid to get from one place to the other. It is just frankly disgusting. I'm not saying that's definitively what happened with this Kenny Roy guy. I'm not saying that Memphis did anything shady to get him. I'm just saying that when you got 13 guys on the roster and two or three of them have parents that are a pain in the butt and two or three of them are thinking about going pro and they got agents in their ear and one of them's got a mentor like this guy and a couple other ones are thinking about transferring, I just don't know what the appeal of this job is. Yet apparently there is some appeal because all of these guys are doing it and all these guys are loving it. So that story was wild. And I do want to wrap on one other story. And like I said, I don't do a ton of recruiting on this show because outside of a Zion, outside of a BJ Boston, outside of a RJ Barrett, uh, whoever, there just aren't a lot of guys that commit that a year out we have to talk about. But I do want to hit on this topic. Indiana picked up a commitment from a five-star player this week named Christian Lander. Christian Lander, very good player. And I should mention that Christian Lander has elected to reclassify out of the class of 2021. So he just finished his junior year, but he is going to reclassify and enroll at Indiana this year. And look, you know, reclassifying is kind of the norm now, right? I mean, it's everybody does it. Terrence Clark going to Kentucky next year, reclassified. Nico Mannion reclassified. Anthony Edwards reclassified. It happens a lot. Not a huge deal, not a big deal, whatever. But here's why it's interesting. One, the reason the kid reclassified is because I think that he believes he's a five-star guy, so very good player. Everything that I've seen, I think he's fine. I don't think he's like elite, no doubt about it, one and done. So I think it's interesting that he reclassified up a year to get one step closer to the NBA, and I'm not sure he's going to be in the NBA a year from now. That's one. Two, the bigger question, the bigger conversation is this. Have you seen Indiana's roster? They have a loaded roster for the 2020-2021 season. In total, I looked it up. I did some math. I did some research. I did some homework for this show. They return Eight of their top nine scores from last season, only one has left, and he transferred. Well, only one has left, and he graduated. Another guy transferred, but he was way down the totem pole. They basically return everybody. They are now, with this kid bringing in a top 15 recruiting class, including this kid who's one of the top 25 players in college basketball. And all I'm telling you is very simply this. We are entering year four of the Archie Miller era, and there is a lot of pressure on Archie Miller after this one. And what do I mean by that? 
Well, I think you know what I mean. The guy makes $4 million a year, right? First year, he gets a pass. The program's a mess. Tom Crean, I've done my Tom Crean bit. I'm not going to get back into it, but you kind of get the point. Place was a mess when he showed up. Second year, turns everybody, has Romeo Langford. Team's a disaster. I think they lost 11 out of 12 or 12 out of 13 at one point. This year, I will defend him. Because I actually thought he had a pretty good team. They had some nice wins. They won it. They won against Florida State. They beat Michigan State. They beat Wisconsin. I mean, they beat a lot of really good teams in the Big Ten. But they were still a bubble team. They still probably had to go to the Big Ten tournament and win at least one game to be safe. And even if they won that one game, Indiana fans do not think that they are. They should ever be a bubble team. So he is coming off two seasons where he didn't make the NCAA tournament. And then a third season this past year where he would have been in, and I, I give him credit because Joe Lenardi and him got into the big tiff. And if you remember, I actually took Archie Miller's side on that. I think he was right. I think they were in the NCAA tournament. But Indiana has not played an NCAA tournament game in a very long time. And now Indiana's got a real squad now. Now Archie Miller's out of excuses because you look at this roster. You can't say it's Tom Crean's fault anymore. You can't say it's recruiting, top 15 recruiting class. I uh, brought in the Indiana Player of the Year three years ago with Romeo Langford, Indiana Player of the Year two years ago, Trace Jackson Davis. He'll be back this season. Can't blame it on recruiting, and you can't blame it on talent overall because you got your guys in, you got a bunch of guys back, and you got a big-time recruiting class. And so for Archie Miller, this is put-up-or-shut-up time. And I would add this too, by the way. The Big Ten, I think, will be a little bit down this year. Now, I know last year the, the, the league was really good, 11 NCAA tournament teams, all that stuff. But look, Michigan State loses Cassius Winston. They lose a lot off last year's roster. Michigan, with Juwan Howard, loses a ton. Ohio State, I think, will be good, but they lost some weird guys in the offseason, including Caleb Wesson, their best player. Illinois has potentially lost a couple of its key players. So I bring this up because I'm not saying that Indiana should be the favorite in the Big Ten. If friend of the Air Tour Sports podcast, Luca Garza, comes back, Iowa will probably be favored. They return everybody off a really good team. Wisconsin returns everybody. I still think Michigan State's going to be really good. But what I am saying is the league shouldn't be this monstrosity that it was this past season, and Archie Miller is going to have by far his most talented team. And I'll tell you this, and it's something that I've talked about a lot on this show. I think there's a possibility, believe it or not, that Archie Miller has too many good players. And I always think this is something to watch out for in college basketball. I remember last year, if you remember a few weeks ago, I had Peyton Pritchard on the show, and I told Peyton Pritchard, hey, bro, I'm just going to own it. I told you, I told, I told him that I picked Oregon to finish sixth in the Pac-12 this year. And he said, how could you do that? And I said, honestly, man, I looked at your roster and I said, I think you got too many good players. I don't think in college basketball you need 11 good players or 12 good players. You need like eight, maybe even as little as seven. You only play twice a week. You only play 40 minutes. Young kids, you don't need 13 guys. And frankly, most schools don't even fill their 13 scholarships. And if they do up until this year, at least one or two of those guys is redshirting as a transfer or they know that there's going to be an injury uh, recovery or whatever. And so I only bring it up with Indiana because very simply, this is Archie Miller's most loaded roster, but I think that can work in a negative way too. This kid Christian Lander is a point guard. He's a five-star. He reclassified because he thinks he's a one and done. Well, Indiana's already got a point guard coming back named Robert Finnessy, who's a junior. Do you give the ball to Robert Finnessy and put the freshman on the bench? Do you try to play both of them together? 
do you start the freshman over the guy that's more experienced? I don't know. All I am saying is Archie Miller has his most talented roster. I think he may actually have too many guys. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see because the, 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 the bloom is off the rose. And I've defended this guy. I don't think he's as bad as people think as far as a coach. But the Romeo Langford thing didn't work. Last year, you had kind of a weird roster patchwork into the NCAA tournament, at least the NCAA tournament picture. Now you got a real squad. Now you're being ranked in all these top 25s. I saw ESPN updated their top 25. Indiana's in there. John Rothstein updated his top 25. Indiana's in there. I haven't updated my top 25, but I'll tell you this. When I look at all the rosters, there's not 25 better rosters than Indiana. So fascinating story, and it will be worth following. Woo! All right. So I think I'm going to hold the Kevin Keats interview till Monday. I think I gave you enough good content on what is going on in college sports with DeAndre Williams and his wacky mentor, with Christian Lander. And I think that's all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Kevin Keats will come to the show on Monday. Before I get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do that on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to subscribe, keep downloading. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what what you think of AT. He kind of annoys you, but he gives good content. And I don't know, he's kind of arrogant, but I still like him anyway. Make sure you're following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I will be back next week. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I hope everyone has a great weekend. I hope everybody stays safe. And I will talk to you next week. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.